Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We're continuing as we uh, have been uh, going through these letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor. This one is to Sardis. Now, there's something interesting about Sardis's history. Twice, uh, this city was overtaken in history before this letter was written um, when they were basically asleep, when they were at ease, when they, when they thought that everything was fine and they couldn't be touched. Um, once was under... Um, when uh, Cyrus the Persian was coming in, and the other was when Antiochus, one of the Greeks, came in. But the, the thing is, they, they, uh, they were perched on the side of this high, high precipice, and they thought they were safe up there, and they didn't perch, per, uh, put any guards over on that side. They had guards all around the rest of their city, but they had no guards on this side. And twice, not just once, but twice, they were overtaken um, by surrounding forces, whenever someone climbed up the precipice with a ladder, snuck in and opened the gate so that the enemy could come right on in. And Jesus here, he speaks to the church at Sardis and he says they need to wake up. Just like uh, they were at ease, they thought they couldn't be touched uh, as a city, the church there had similarly fallen asleep. They had Jesus but they were at ease. Let's, uh, let's read what Jesus says to this church at Sardis. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 1, says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know it at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Let he who has ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have spoken to us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us to hear. Wake us up if needed. And Father, I pray that you would be with me. I pray that you would give me strength. I am weak and sinful. I need your grace to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Jesus begins just like all the others. He says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis. And he begins again by describing himself in the terms of what he had seen, what we had seen in chapter one there at the end. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This um, the seven spirits of God is probably a reference to the Holy Spirit. That Jesus has the Holy Spirit, that, that uh, Jesus is the fullness of all the revelation of the Spirit. And he has the seven stars, which remember chapter one tells us the seven stars that he held in his hand. That those were the messengers or the angels of the seven churches. Jesus holds his churches in his hand. He is in control. He is not unaware of what goes on in his churches. He is perfectly aware. Nothing escapes his gaze. Jesus comes and he addresses himself that way, reminding this church he has them in there in his hand. And he says, I know your works. I'm sorry. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wait a minute. What's wrong here? In the other in the other um, letters, we see how he's listed uh, uh, several good things. But here he doesn't say any, any good things to start off with. He doesn't um, do what we would all normally do and say, well, you're, you're doing good in this area, in this area, and then give the criticism. No, he goes straight for it. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Imagine Jesus saying that to a church. Back in uh, the late 80s, there was a movie that came out. Now, I usually don't um, don't use movies as uh, uh, illustrations because you know I, not everybody has the same uh, convictions about uh, about what movies and things you should watch, and so I try to kind of avoid that. But uh, this is a movie I haven't seen, but I've I've heard about. It. I know what the premise is. It's called Weekend at Bernie's. I'm not going to ask who's seen it. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's is this movie where there are these two guys who have a boss who, uh, I don't know the whole situation, but they go to his, their boss and he dies. And for whatever situation, he's, they don't want him to be dead. So they spend the whole weekend trying to kind of prop him up and pretend that he's alive and try to keep everybody else from, from finding out that he's really dead. And so they've got him walking around and, and, uh, and they just hold him up and, and kind of walk him around like that to try to convince people that he's really dead. But the whole idea is absurd, isn't it? It's obvious whenever somebody's dead. I don't know how in this movie they could ever pull the wool over anybody's eyes and think that this corpse was really alive. But that's the kind of absurdity that Jesus points out whenever he talks to his church. You have a reputation of being alive, he says to this church of Sardis. But you're really dead. It's as if the, the church is being propped up. But they're really dead. There is a, there's a real danger of that. There's a lot of things that people try to do to prop up a church and make it look like it's alive. A live church will have a, a, a full devotion to Jesus. We will pray. We will love Him. We will worship. 
with fervent hearts and not just a coldness. We will love to hear His Word. We will want to gather to hear God speaking to us through the Bible. A live church is not identified by activity. We can put a lot of dates on the calendar to do all kinds of things, but all of that is just as absurd to Jesus as propping up a corpse and trying to pass it off as alive. Because activities don't bring spiritual life. It might bring people into our way where we can share the Gospel, but if we just have the activity and we don't speak the truth of the Gospel to the people, then what good is it? Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What is it? that has caused this church in Sardis to have this reputation of being alive but being dead. Now I want to back up a little bit. We've, we've seen in these other two churches before Sardis what they have done. They have compromised with false teaching. They have compromised. They had some that held the teachings of the Nicolaitans where they've introduced sexual immorality and, and um, idolatry in order to maybe gain fa- favor with the Romans around them. You know, in the, in the ancient world, there was um, a, a cult following Caesar. Caesar wanted to be worshipped like a god. And this church that was there in, in Pergamum and in, and in Thyatira, uh, they, they were under enormous pressure to bow down to Caesar, to say Caesar is Lord instead of Jesus is Lord. And... These churches seem to be participating in that idolatry, participating in some of the sexual immorality to be accepted by the Roman government so that they wouldn't be persecuted. Well, I think it's maybe similar here, but the thing you have to know about this is in the Roman government, there were certain religions that were legal and certain religions that were not recognized by the government. Christianity itself was not recognized, but Judaism was. Judaism was an ancient religion, and and they, you know, Christianity came up out of Judaism. So it may be that instead of giving in to false teaching and idolatry or things like that, maybe they were just trying to get along in the synagogue by not making any waves and not professing the name of Jesus openly. So they may have had a reputation of being alive because they hadn't given in to false teaching, immorality, and and, uh, idolatry. But instead, they were quiet. They held their tongues. They didn't speak the name of Jesus. There's more here that I think that uh, leads us to that that, uh, idea. Jesus' command to them is, wake up. Wake up. Up. You, you, are, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Just wake up. That's Jesus' command. You know, they weren't aware. They didn't know they were dead. Jesus had to tell them. He had to tell, and He has to tell us. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. 
Jesus calls this church to repentance. And he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. We know Jesus said, I will come like a thief in the night. We, we think of that when we think about the, the, uh, the, the end times when Jesus comes, the second coming, and He comes in the middle of the night when people are asleep and, and people are not expecting Him. He comes like a thief. Well, He can come that way to His church at any time, whether it's the end times or whether it's right now. He will come like a thief when we don't expect Him, and He will come and judge He says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you, Jesus says. Jesus is saying He will come against His church if they do not wake up. Verse 4, Yet you still have a few names of people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with Me in white for they are worthy. These people who have not soiled their garments, I think they're people that have actually taken on the shame of following Jesus. They have professed Jesus' name. They have not soiled their garments because they've not compromised by being silent, by being quiet. Jesus says, they will walk with me in white. And Jesus presents Himself in the first chapter as the one who has a a white garment. He's not soiled His garment. He is pure here. Jesus says, those who do not soil their garments, they will walk with Me in white. For they are worthy. Jesus says, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and I will never blot His name out of the book of life. This is the promise that Jesus gives for those who conquer, for those who overcome, for those who do not remain silent, who speak out, who profess the name of Jesus, who don't compromise. And I think this goes right along with the idea. You know, in the ancient world, we actually have some of the old prayers that they would pray in the synagogues. There were 18 benedictions prayed by the Jews in the ancient world. And added to these 18 benedictions we find the curse of the minim. And the curse of the minim, uh, it, it was a prayer that they would pray uh, cursing all those that they did not feel were, were true Jews. And he, it, it says here, I'm going to quote it, it says, May the Nazarenes and the minim suddenly perish, and may they be blotted out of the book of life and not enrolled along with the righteous. This is the kind of a prayer that they would pray in the synagogues in that day. These people who were, belie- who were Christians, who, who took the name of Jesus, they were praying that they would be blotted out of the book of life. And Jesus here says to His church at Sardis, those who overcome, those who do not remain silent, those who will profess My name, those who will not just compromise with the synagogue so that they can get along in a legal religion and just make peace with the culture around them, I will not blot your name out of the book of life, Jesus promises. What those Jewish prayers were praying, Jesus promises, no, I will not blot your name out. They also would, would, uh, would blot people's names out of the synagogue record if they profess the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, I will not 
blot them name out of a much more important book, the book of life. Jesus says, I, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Reminds me of what Jesus said during his life and ministry. Whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of him before my Father. And those who profess me, those who who will confess my name, I will confess before my Father. Jesus here is telling us if we will profess him, we don't have to be ashamed. Because he will stand before his Father and say, he's mine. He's mine. She's mine. Jesus says, just as he says to all of the other churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have to be clear about the gospel. We can't be silent about the gospel. We have to proclaim it. So what is that gospel? What is the thing that we give the world as we hold it out for people, for sinners that gospel is the fact that we are we have been created by God and that he owns us he deserves all of our praise and all of our glory he is perfect and he made us and that we sinned we have all sinned from the very first human being Adam and down to us we have all sinned we have all broken God's law we have all deserved Punishment. We have all deserved God's wrath. We, because we have sinned, because we have, have done many, many things against God, we deserve His punishment, His wrath. And yet, Jesus came to pay the price for us. He came and took our punishment. As Amy read from Isaiah, He, no longer would we have to drink up God's wrath, but His cup was taken away from us and Jesus' cup took the cup of God's wrath and drank it all down, all the way to the dregs. He took our cup that was meant for us, the judgment of God's wrath that would have been poured out on us, and when He went to the cross... He poured it all out into His own mouth. He drank it all. And then our response, we just trust in Him. We trust in Jesus. It's not about being a good person and trying to clean up ourselves and make ourselves presentable. The Gospel is not a Gospel of moralism. If it was, it would be bad news, not good news. The law by itself, apart from the gospel, is bad news. All it does is tell us we're sinners, that we can't keep God's law. But the gospel says Jesus paid our price. And all we do is receive His gift. We believe that His death paid for our sins. We trust in Him. We cling to Jesus. We give ourselves to Him. We are not saved by moralistic attempts to try to clean ourselves up. We are saved by grace alone. And then He works within our hearts with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and He changes us from the inside out. That's the Gospel. We cannot be silent about that. We cannot be silent about that. 
Jesus, he comes to his church. May we have ears to hear. He says, wake up. Don't make peace with the culture around you. Don't try to wash over the, the, the parts of the gospel that might be offensive, but stay true to the gospel as it has been given in the scriptures. Because if we try to water it down to make people more comfortable with it, to make it more palatable to people, we are dead. Dead in the water. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.